0: But he has to have control of the steering wheel. Come on. He has to be in charge. And it begins by surrendering the keys to our lives. Come on. And this morning, this message, the title of this message is Not My Will. I want you to say this with me. Lord, Lord. Not, my will, not my will, but your will be done. Will be done. So I believe God wants to challenge our faith this morning to help us to trust him. To surrender our keys, that is, our will. Because if he has our will, then he has our hearts. And if he has our hearts, then he has our lives. And if he has our lives, then he has everything else. Our possessions, our families, our finances, our time, even our problems. I believe also that God will help us to answer the question... What is keeping us from completely surrendering our keys? That is, our will. To surrender, in literal terms, means to give up something to somebody. A good example of that is in World War II, when Japan finally surrendered to the United States, Japan sent one of their generals, or their high-ranking generals, to meet with one of our US generals for, to officially surrender. When both generals finally met, the Japanese general extended his hand to shake General MacArthur's hand. But General MacArthur refused to shake his hand. And this is what General MacArthur said to the Japanese general. He says, sir, I cannot take your hand. I I cannot shake your hand. He says, until you first surrender your sword. He said, we cannot be friends as long as that sword is hanging by your side. Give me your sword, and then I'll shake your hands. In medieval times, when the knights were defeated, they would not only surrender their sword or their dagger, but they surrender more than that. What they're also surrendering is their dreams, their goals, and their ambitions. There are many of us here this morning that want to shake God's hand while still holding on to the sword. That is the sword of their will. Are you hearing me this morning? Along with their dreams, their goals, as well as their plans. But without surrendering your will, fellowship and relationship with God can never be complete. You see, because there will always be something missing. There will always be something lacking. I like what Jesus says in Matthew 12 and verse 50. He says that if anyone does the will of my father, he is my brother, my sister, and my mother. In other words, we're family. But surrendering means to give up or to part with something. And you know, when we think about that, we don't like to give up anything. I mean, let's be honest. We don't like giving up nothing. But when it comes to complete surrender, it it requires giving up something, someone. Go to Mark chapter 10 and let's look at verse 21. A good example is a very familiar story about the rich young ruler and the story begins where Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem until he met up with this young ruler. This young ruler sees him, recognizes him, and runs to Jesus. And he says, and he falls down to his knee and says, Jesus, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says to him, well, do you know the commandments? And he mentions some of the commandments. And, he, and uh, the, the rich young ruler proudly says, Master, I've observed all of them. And then Jesus bursts his bubbles. And we pick up in verse 21. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. So as you can see, just keeping the commandment was not enough, because Jesus said he was still lacking something. And when he heard those words of Jesus, he did not receive it very well, because look at what he says in verse 22, "But he was sad at this word, and he went sorrow, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What this young ruler lacked was a, the will to surrender. There are many Christians alike, just like this young ruler who seemed content with just obeying the commandments. And we have many Christians who are just content and satisfied with just the basis of Christianity. But yet, all the while, God is saying, you still lack one thing. Turn to your neighbor and ask him, what are you lacking? What I want you to see here is this. This young ruler lacked one thing. And that one thing was enough to hinder his chances for inheriting eternal life. But understand this. Jesus was not in, interested in his possessions. Jesus was only interested in the young ruler. Jesus has the ability to see who we really are. And therefore he's able to target those areas in our lives that he knows will prevent him From having all of us. You see Jesus wants all of us. Not just a part of us. And that's so important to understand. Because sometimes we can think we can get away with just giving part of us. When all he desires is all of us. And if there's something in our lives that is hindering that. God will point that out to us. That's what God will require of us. And that's when we struggle with giving things up. But understand this. As a matter of fact, let me just use this example. When God called Abraham and told Abraham to surrender his son, Abraham obeyed. But the scripture says that God was only testing him. So God was not really interested in his son Isaac. God was interested in Abraham. And when Abraham was about to offer his son to to the sacrifice, and when he was about to plunge that knife into his son's body, God put a stop to it. And the reason why is because God saw that Abraham made the ultimate surrender in his heart. God began to see it. Now I know that this man is a God-fearing man. And his only concern is to do my will. To surrender is to fully commit all of you to all of him. Not just a part of you. Go to Romans chapter 12 and look at verse 1. Paul says this. I beseech you therefore my brethren. By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That word body here represents the totality of one's life and activities. God wants all of us, our bodies, our soul, and our minds, so that he can use us as his vehicle for righteous living. Look at what he says in Romans chapter 6, while you're still in Romans, and look at verse 13. Well, he says, and do not present your members as instruments of righteousness to sin. In other words, we're not to let any part of our body, our hands, our feet, our mouths, our eyes to become an instrument of evil to serve sin. But instead, he says, present yourselves—that that is your total self to God and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Allowing our bodies and our soul and our mind to express God's will, God's favor, God's mercy, God's grace, God's power, and God's love. God wants all of us. But to surrender is going to require trust. Trusting that God's plan is better than yours and ours. Believing that His will is the best path for us. Even though when it's, it, it doesn't seem like it is. One of the major reasons why so many Christians do not trust God. Or won't surrender to God. Is simply because they don't trust Him. You know there was a story. Um, Pastor Tony Evans who pastors a church in Dallas, Texas. He was sharing a story one time about his grandson. How at the end of every service he would come running to the front of the church. And get up on a stage and then jumps off the stage. And his, and his grandfather catches him. And he would do this every Sunday. But it wasn't like that from the beginning. Because in the beginning, the, uh, the pastor, Pastor Evans, would take his grandson and place him at the, at the top of the stage. And he says, jump. His, his grandson's is named Jonathan II. And he calls him J2. He said, jump, J2. And the, the, the grandson will look at the grandfather and says, no. No. He said, jump, J2. No, I'm scared. J2. I got you. I'm right here. Jump. He says, no. And the reason why he wouldn't jump is because he didn't have complete trust in his grandfather. He loved his grandfather, but he didn't have the confidence that his his grandfather had the ability to catch him, the ability to prevent him from falling to the floor. And so every Sunday, his grandfather would put him up on the stage, and he would utter the words, Jump, JT. I got you. Jump, JT. I got you. Jump, JT. I got you. Until one day JT was or J2 got to the edge of the of the of the uh, of the, uh, the stage and it got to the edge and it looked like he was about to jump. And he looks down and he and he sort of feels his way out with his leg. And then all of a sudden he says, come closer. You're too far. And when the grandfather drew near to his son, his grandson, and when his grandson saw that his grandfather was drawing near to him and got close enough, that's when he jumped. And from that point on, he would run up to the stage, get on the, on the stage and then jump even before his grandfather was ready to catch him. <laughs> because he developed a trust in him. He trusted in the care of his grandfather. He believed that his grandfather would not let no harm come to him. That's complete trust. And for many of us, God is saying the same thing. Jump, I got you. Go to Deuteronomy chapter one. Look at verse 31. Here we read the story where Moses gives his farewell message to his people. And his people finally ended their wilderness journey. They reached. They were at the point of the, the Jordan River and across the river was the promised land. And Moses was giving his farewell speech because Moses was, going, was not going to cross with them. And so Moses, what he does is he reviews all of that, the things that had gone on in their lives and also reminded them of what God had done. And we pick up in verse 31 and he said this, And you saw how the Lord your God cared for you all along the way as you traveled through the wilderness, Just as a father cares for his child. And now he has brought you to this place. Think about the time. Go back to the time when you first came to the Lord. To where you are today. Think about the journey that it took to get you to the place that you are. Think about all the trials and the temptations that you had to go through. Think about all the peaks and the valleys all the victories and the defeats, all the successes and failures that you have to go through just to get to the place where you are today. Now, you may not be where you are or where you want to be, but how many of you are glad and thankful that you're not what you used to be? And so God has brought you to this place in your journey, looking after you, taking care of you like a father cares for his child. And you, 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 you come to a place in your life where you think you didn't know you were going to make it. When you didn't know you was going to overcome this situation. But all that time, God was there looking after you, taking care of you, and guiding you to where you are today. Yes. Amen. But then it goes on to say in verse 32, But even after all he did, you refused to trust the Lord your God. And then he goes on to say in verse 33, who goes before you looking for the best places to camp, guiding you with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. When God was directing you and guiding you and protecting you in your journey, God not only walks with you in your journey, but he also goes ahead of you to find the best place for you. Just like a scout looking for a best place to camp, God is looking for a best place for you to grow, a best place for you to thrive, a best place for you to succeed, and a best place for you to be victorious. Taking us from where we are to where we're supposed to go. That's God. It means that your journey is not over. There's still more to go. There's still much to travel. But God is there looking after you and caring for you. Like a father caring for his child. So to surrender. Is to trust that God will care for you. Even as he leads you to the best place in your life. Now. There is this deep desire. That is deeply rooted in us. Since we were a child. That desire is. The desire to be in control. Sometimes. We avoid being captured by God and surrendering our will because doing so would mean surrendering an area that we want to control. Turn to your neighbor and tell them. I could be wrong, but I think he's talking about you. You see, we like to go our own way. We 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 like to, to be the boss of our own destiny. We want to be in charge of our own circumstances. Why? Because we want to be in control. And to be in control gives us a sense of security. When my daughter Crystal, my oldest daughter, when she was 17, she got a permit. And naturally she wanted to learn how to drive. So she wanted me to take her around. So I would take her in my car and I would take her into the parking lot. And we'd drive around there. You know, I wanted to get used to being behind the wheel and getting used to the, 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 the gas pedal and the, and the brakes and just getting the feel of the car. But after a while, she didn't want to go in the parking lot anymore. She wanted to go out into the streets, which was what I was trying to avoid. Yeah. Nevertheless, we went out into the streets. And uh, I, I got to tell you, it's, it was probably one of the most anxious and most terrifying moments of my life. I, I <laughs> kid you not. You know, I, and I'm driving in the car, and I'm riding with her on the passenger side, and uh, you know one of those narrow streets where you got parked cars on the right and you got oncoming traffic coming towards you? And I'm sitting on the passenger side, and I'm looking at how close she's driving in those parked cars. I'm saying, oh my goodness, she's gonna take one of these side view mirrors. <laughs> or when I see her approaching a stop sign, and I notice that she hasn't taken a foot off the gas yet. And I'm wondering, are we even gonna stop? And you ask yourself, why am I going through all this stress? Why am I feeling all this anxiety? It's because I'm not in control. You see, I'm entrusting a very eager but inexperienced teenager to take control of the steering wheel of my car. And I was not in control. You know, when, when, when Dr. Evans told his grandson to jump from the stage, the moment he jumped, he was in the air. And when he was in the air, he had no control. All he had was the word of his grandfather. I got you. And that's what we have. All we have is God's word. And when he says jump, I got you, that's what we have to go on. And we have to just learn to just trust him. Because he got us. Are you hearing me this morning? So to surrender means to totally resign your life. That means to stand down, step away, abdicate, letting go of total control of your life and over into God's hands. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, get off your throne. Jesus is the supreme example of surrender. Go with me to Luke chapter 14. Let's look at verse 32. Jesus was called to surrender his life to to an undeserving world. And one day before his crucifixion, we read where he came to a place, which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Verse 34. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. And then this is what Jesus prayed. He said he went a little further in verse 35, and he fell to the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And then in verse 36, he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Listen to what he says. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but you will. So the night before his crucifixion, uh, fiction, Jesus surrendered himself to God's plan. He placed God's will above his own will. He placed his own distress and his anxiety uh, God above all that, so all, all the things that he had gone through, all of his anxious uh, anxieties, all of his, his fears, all of his uh, whatever it is that he's going through. He placed that aside and placed God above all that. Now, again, we're talking about the human side of Jesus. But to, to surrender is to or I should say to live a surrender life as Jesus did. Now watch this is letting go of our need to control the circumstances of our lives. Because that's what we like to do. We like to control the situation. Because when we're in control, then we have a sense of security. But when we have to give up control, you know, I I love what the song says. Uh, If I can remember what it says, it says uh, something about the trust beyond our boundaries or outside of our boundaries. That was so powerful because that's what God is requiring of us. He's he's asking us to step outside of our comfort zone and that requires trust. It it requires us to be able to let go of control and be able to trust that God is able to lead us and guide us and and keep us when we're afraid and uncertain. But Jesus demonstrated, demonstrated a surrendered life And he had the right attitude. When he says over in John 6 and verse 38, he says, For I have come down from heaven only to do the will of God who sent me and not to do my will. In the 33 years of his life, his whole purpose was simply to do God's will and not his own. So Jesus' full surrender to the Father is an example of how we should live. Say this with me. Not my will, Lord, Lord. but thy thy will be done. But I want you to notice his human moment. Even though he had surrendered his life, he still had a human moment. And some of you might say, well, yeah, but you know, Jesus was God in the flesh. So his life was already surrendered before he came to the earth. But let me draw your attention to what he says in Mark chapter 14. The words of Jesus and his prayer These were words that came from a man of flesh and blood. After all, Jesus, when he came to the earth, he didn't come to be God. He came to be a human being. And he experienced life as you and I do. Look at Hebrews chapter 2 and look at verse 17. And Hebrews 2 and verse 17 says this. Therefore, it was necessary for Jesus to be made in every respect... Like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God, then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. In other words, Jesus was purposely made to be like us as human beings in every way. And he went through the same temptations that you and I go through, yet without sin. Look at what he says in Hebrews four in verse 15. <clears throat> This high priest, referring to Jesus is, uh, of ours, understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings as we do, yet he did not sin. Jesus was tried and tempted as we are, yet he remained sinless. And just like every human being, and most people don't realize this, but Jesus had a will of his own. But he chose to surrender his life. He had a will, which means he could have chosen not to go to the cross. But yet he chose. Look at what he says in John chapter 10. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 said, No one can take my life from me, I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down. When I want to, and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. In other words, what Jesus was saying was that this act of surrendering was totally within his power. He says, I give up my life. I lay down my life. I don't lay down my life because some man told me to do it. No one takes my life from me. I choose to do it. God has given him the right and the privilege. To lay down his life. But in the same breath, he also gave Jesus the same power and privilege to choose to pass this cup and avoid the cross. Aren't you glad that Jesus chose to go to the cross? Amen. So God has given us God has given us the same right to make the same choices every day. To choose to surrender. Or to choose not to surrender. No one is forced to yield their will to God. It is a choice that we must make on a daily basis. But let's be real. We know that to surrender is not easy. How many of you can testify to that? Can I get a witness here this morning? One of the hardest sentences in a Christian's life is when they say, Not my will, Lord but you will be done. So to surrender will be a struggle for many of us. And that's because not many of us are willing to endure things that's going to inconvenience our flesh. Even if it's for Jesus' sake. We saw how Jesus struggled in His crucifixion, uh, or actually before His crucifixion, we saw the struggle that He had gone through. The scripture says that He was filled with anguish and distress. And how his heart was was crushed. And you think about that, it says, but we're talking about Jesus. But Jesus had a human moment, just like you and I have our human moments. As a matter of fact, every day of our life is a human moment. But just like God requires a surrender, and just like Jesus also was experiencing that painful experience of having to surrender his life. Because understand this, Jesus did not want to go through the rejection. Jesus did not want to go through the separation. Jesus did not want to have to deal with the horrific suffering that he was about to endure. Yet he surrendered his life. But for us, it's, it's a struggle. Because many of us don't want to suffer that pain. And when I say pain, I'm not talking about physical pain. I'm talking about the pain of our flesh. It's painful to our flesh. But we think about Pastor Tony Evans' son, grandson. When his grandfather was telling him to jump, imagine what was going on in his mind. He also was full of anxiety and fear because he didn't have trust. So surrendering your life is going to be a struggle it's going to be a painful it's going to be painful for our flesh so let's be real let's not let's not pretend that's it's not, not going to happen nevertheless it's a choice that we have jesus the way he did it even in his human wisdom in, a, in human moment he simply surrendered to a, to a god that is all knowing all wise and a god that he knew would take care of him He simply put his trust. And you know, how many of you have ever had to put your trust in somebody and you begin to wonder in the back of your mind, should I trust this person? And you begin to question whether you should trust that person. And then you trusted him and everything went well, right? Then how many of you trusted somebody and you wasn't sure that you should trust and you trusted that person and you wish that you didn't trust that person? But we're not talking about any person. We're talking about God. Jesus ended his prayer this way. He says, not my will, but your will be done. Imagine if we wake up every morning saying those words. Lord, not my will, but you will be done. Those are words that God loves to hear. Now, there is a danger of being self-sufficient. Now, self-sufficiency can be a good thing. You know, you have a husband and a wife, both work. But the wife has work longer hours than the husband. So the husband gets to come home a lot earlier than his wife. A self-sufficient man or husband will not come home and sit around waiting for his wife to come home so that she can do the cooking. You're right, ladies? No, a self-sufficient man will pick up the kids from school. Get the kids situated, make sure they're doing their homework. Then he goes in the kitchen, prepares supper. And while his supper is being prepared, he might do a couple loads of laundry. He might straighten up the the house a little bit. Sorry, husbands, I don't mean to set you up. Husbands, I think I just opened up a can of worms for you. (laughs) But that's a self-sufficient husband. And that's a good thing. But self-sufficiency for a Christian can also be a bad thing. There was a story about this pastor who was sharing a story about how he doesn't like his wife when, uh, when she sends him to Home Depot to pick up something. And, and the main reason why he don't like going to Home Depot is because every time his wife sends him to buy something at Home Depot, he knows that there's something that he has to fix around the house himself. And we all know that Home Depot is set up for people who like doing things themselves. Okay, right? And so, you know, if, if for instance, you know, because Home Depot was set up that way, you know, people, instead of calling a plumber, they would just simply go to Home Depot and pick up plumbing supplies and do the work themselves. Instead of calling an electrician, they just simply go to Home Depot, buy electric, electrical, you know, appliances and stuff like that, and uh, materials, And go home and do the electrical work themselves. But he doesn't like Home Depot because it meant he had something to do. He had work to be done. (laughs) And we all know that Home Depot make it their business to teach people how to fix things themselves. But the point that he was making was this. He said that we have a a lot of Home Depot kind of Christians in the church today. Who like doing things themselves. Who like being their own boss, who like being the captain of their own faith, who like to be the master of their own ship. Now, these kind of Christians, they, every once in a while, they might breathe a little prayer every once in a while, every now and then, but they're pretty much self-sufficient people. And self-sufficient people are more than just Home Depot kind of people. They're more like Burger Kings type of people. You know, you know what I'm talking about. They want things their way. And so th- that's what we have. And family, this is exactly what Satan wants. If Satan can separate us and cause us to operate independently from God, that he's done his job. Look at Jeremiah chapter 17. Look at verses 5 and 6. Jeremiah here was, wrote about what God said about uh, a people who rely on human strength. He says in uh, verse 5, this is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their heads from the Lord. Now, if Satan can convince us that we don't need God, or that we may not need him for everything, then he's done exactly what he wants us to do. Dividing us and separating us from the Father. And look at what else he says in verse 6. These kind of people who rely on their own selves, their own strength, are like stunted tr- shrubs in a desert with no hope for the future, and they will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited, salty land. In other words, living apart from God is a life that trusts and relies on their own human reasoning and their own human strength. And that kind of life is a life that is unprofitable and unfruitful. To surrender our lives means to become totally dependent on God, just as Jesus was totally dependent on him. Look at what the Bible says in John 5 and verse 19. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself, but he does only what he sees the father doing. And whatever the father does, the son also does. So Jesus was also completely surrendered to the Lord. And that's what we must do as well on a daily basis. Now, surrender is the key to Christian life. It's the key to Christian living. Let me ask you some questions. And I don't want to see a show of hands. But I want you to be able to answer those questions within yourself. But how many of you are concerned about what the future holds for you? How many of you are concerned about tomorrow? How many of you are concerned about the future of your children, your teens, in today's culture? How many of you are concerned about your retirement? Or how many of you are concerned about your health? Or maybe you're concerned about all of the above. Now, maybe you've answered some of these questions, but there's actually only one, one answer that will put an end to every worry, every fear, and every concern Of all the things that I've asked you. And that is a complete surrender to the Lord. Are you hearing me this morning? Because when you surrender to an all-knowing God, a wise God, that's who you need to place your trust in. That's who you need to put your life in. Because understand that there can be no peace or confidence in your lives until you've surrendered it to the Lord. Go to Proverbs chapter 3. Look at verse 24. When we surrender our lives to the Lord, it becomes a, pe- a place of peace and confidence. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 24 says this, When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lay down and your sleep will be uh, sweet. Verse 25, Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. Then in verse 26, For the Lord your God will be your confidence, and will keep your foot from being caught. So God's condition for our peace is based on our unconditional surrender to his will. There was this painting, it was a real vivid painting about a storm. When you look at that painting, you see the dark clouds, you see the waves crashing against the the rocks violently, and it's so vivid. And when you look at that painting, you see turmoil. But in the corner of that painting, there are, there, upon a rock, there are two white birds and they were singing. Peace is where God's calm and God's tranquility overrules all of our concerns. You see, peace is, the peace of God is beyond our understanding. God's peace is not the calm after the storm. God's peace is the calm within the storm. His peace is the calm within every turmoil. His peace is the calm within every insecurity, every uncertainty, every financial or family crisis. His peace is in the midst of the storm. I, I, we, when, we, when we face storms on, on On a a daily uh, basis, the storms that we face in life, they're too heavy and, and, and too big for us to handle on our own. But we weren't meant to. Because we need to surrender all of our burdens, all of our cares to him. Because then he's able to take not only all the things that concern us, all the things that worry us. But then he promised to exchange it with peace. Look at Isaiah chapter 32 and look at verse 18. Philippians chapter 6 and verse uh, 4, verse 6 says, Be anxious or worried for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, making all of your requests made known to God. And then he promised a peace that passes all understanding that will keep our hearts in our minds. But look at verse 18 of of Isaiah 32. He says, My people will dwell in in a peaceful habitation. In secure dwellings. In a quiet resting place. Our peaceful habitation can be in the midst of a crisis. Think of the story about Jesus when he was on the boat with his disciples. When he said, let's go over to the other side. And as they were on their way to the other side, they hit a major storm. And there was all kinds of turmoil and chaos. The winds were blowing, the water, the waves were, were, were just rough and, and the boat was being tossed to and fro and water was crashing into the boat and the disciples were running around in a panic. Does that sound familiar to anybody? And they were bailing out water as fast as they could because they were afraid that they were going to die. In the midst of all this chaos and turmoil, Jesus was fast asleep in the corner of the boat. He was in his peaceful habitation. He was in a secure dwelling, but it wasn't the boat. It was his God that he was relying on and trusting to get to the other side. That is our peaceful habitation. When we place God above everything else in our lives, everything that matters to us in this life and in the world will fall into place for us because all things work together for his good. Because we've surrendered it all to the Lord. We're putting our trust in a God that's going to help us get through whatever it is that we're going through in life. And he's going to be with us and care for us like a father cares for his child. And he's going to prepare a place for us that we can thrive and succeed. Because God loves us. Are you hearing me this morning? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. For the words of encouragement today, Lord God. Even though, Lord, when we think about surrendering our lives, Lord God, that is a scary thing. It is a scary proposition. But, Father God, you would not require it of us if you didn't have something in store for us. If you weren't willing to protect us. If you weren't willing to carry us through, Father God. And so, Father, today, we acknowledge and declare before you that we surrender all to you. Our lives, our possessions, our careers. Well, Lord, we, 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 we surrender our children, our marriage. Lord, we surrender it all to you right now. Every circumstance in our lives, we bring it to you right now. Every worry and concern that we have, Lord, we're going to surrender it to you right now. And Lord, we thank you that we're going to place our trust in you. Because when you say jump, I know that you got us. And so, Father, we thank you. We honor you today, Father God. We thank you for the words that were spoken. We thank you for encouraging us. We thank you for building up our faith and helping us to understand what it is and where we need to surrender our lives to you, Lord God. And so, Lord, for this, we thank you and we praise you right now in Jesus' name. While we're in the spirit of